Hello and welcome to the podcast Sport and Life. How are you? Welcome along. Good to have you here. Hope all is well. Thank you for hitting the button. Thank you to the sponsors as ever. Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Get in touch with Jason Briggs and his fine team to find out more. B&O underscore Cheltenham on social media and Bang Olufsen Cheltenham. Look for it online. Get a number for Jason. Give him a ring and he's a good man. Hopefully steer you in the right direction. Also, thank you to Cytoplan for their ongoing association with the podcast, food-based supplement company. The idea being the supplements are digested as close to as possible food would be. My father, Dr. Mark Draper, has had us taking in for 20 plus years. He's worked as a consultant there and we can offer you a discount code at checkout worth 30% off your first purchase, 10% thereafter at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk. The discount code is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one, zero, and the capital letter R. And don't forget, we're also so intent on helping you enjoy life. We've teamed up with the Whole Man Academy and have arranged for some lucky listeners to get a 100% free mentoring session with Anthony Asprey of the Whole Man Academy. Can be male or female, typically works with men. He also works with women as well, though. Usually charges good money, but five complimentary sessions with the podcast. Go to uh, sign up to that via the show notes link and you'll get there to the Whole Man Academy sign-up page. Now onto the podcast. Brilliant to spend some more time with Shane Duff, former professional footballer with Cheltenham Town and Bradford, now property developer with Leckhampton Property Group and a coach as well for people trying to invest in property, sell property. Good guy all around. Covered some interesting bases in the context of what's been happening in the economy this week in the UK. Pound dropping to an all-time low or near to one against the US dollar. Lots of other difficulties and, and, and projections around the economy and the housing market. So Shane, in, in a sense, is a great guest to have on and talk about that. And just a wonderful person and lots of interesting ideas around life too. Here he is, the one and only Shane Duff. And we're rolling. Shane Duff, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Good. Well, it's brilliant to be here. How's the, the past few days with the, the maelstrom in the media about the economy and interest rates and house prices and everything? I don't really know. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you read everything, if you believe everything you see at the moment, the world's going to end in the next week. Yeah. Um, but I was talking to my business partner just the other day and he's been doing it 40 odd years and he said, you know what? It's always the same. He said, my whole career in property has been the same. It's, it's good up, to hear. It's up, it's down, and I think you've just got to be nimble. You've got to stay on your feet. Mm. Don't don't over leverage. Don't risk too much. Don't take on some deals that if the interest rates are going to go up a little bit, yeah, it's not going to work. Just almost just what we call it stress testing. So if you're going to go into a project, you go well, and you think it's going to take you a year. You always think, well, okay, and it, let's just say it takes you a year, and it's going to cost you a hundred thousand pound to refurb. Mm. You might <clears> say. It's going to take 18 months. It's going to cost you £140,000 to refurb. And the interest rates are going to be half a percent or 1% or 2% even higher. Mm-hmm. And then you start stress testing it. So you're almost thinking, if everything goes wrong, yeah, are we okay? And if it's a yes, we're still okay, we'll probably do it. So you're trying to calculate what you can return to investors at the moment, aren't you? Is that Does that fluctuate with the interest rates? Um, no, we always build in. If, if we've got investors working with us, which mm-hmm. we do... Um, they're they're on a fixed rate of return, um, so whatever's left at the end is the buffer. And if there's more left at the end, that's ours. Mm. And if there's not much left at the end, that's ours <laughs> too. Um, but thankfully, over the past four to five years, we've built up a big enough buffer. Yeah. So that should a deal or two just go completely the wrong way, it wouldn't be there wouldn't be any issues or dangers with investors anyway. Mm. But because we're from when you're working with finance and you're working with peer investors and peer lenders, trust and everything is is paramount. So if, if there's one investor that's lent you five thousand pounds, yeah, or five hundred thousand pounds, that moment that you have to pick up the phone and say, "Oh, <laughs> we've got a problem," that's the moment in my eyes that you're you're finished. Mm. So we've 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 grown it fairly organically. We haven't gone stupidly quick. Um, and whenever it comes to finance, trust is everything. Yeah. 
like if we were talking earlier, if you're going to go to a mortgage advisor, you're probably going to go to one you've used yeah. before. They might not even be the yeah, best. Yeah, talk about Phil Brignall who was on the other week. Yeah, exactly. He said exactly that, that it's people by people. Yeah, so anything to do with finances, that, whether it's financial advisors, whether it's pension advisors, bank managers. You might have a bank manager who's retiring, who has probably done this, given the same advice maybe for the past 15 years. Mm. Or you might have a bank manager who's a bit younger, maybe a little bit more up to speed with the latest advice. Yeah. Like, who would you prefer to go with? And you generally just stick with what you know, which mm. is not a bad thing. But sometimes you get a bit blinkered to what is, to yeah. what is out there. But different ways of thinking. But blink is a good way of looking at it, I think. And maybe history is always important to look back, isn't it? And in any industry, I suppose, finance and property. And with the interest rates, I think having people who say to you, actually, it used to be interest rates were double digits Dave Brickell was on the podcast last week is works in finance in the city he used to play uni football with me at Loughborough was at West Ham youth, youth academy before that but he doesn't think that interest rates can go back to where they were in the 80s just because of the level of debt both individual and collective in, in society but nonetheless it is important to look back and like you say I think a lot of us have owned our properties in this post 2008 limited interest rate where we almost couldn't conceive of it going up but in this you always have to factor that in and maybe it's a, it's a good warning shot across our, our bowels just to be aware i think you're completely right um definitely even even myself 40 years old i've never really had yeah. high interest rates whereas i do remember when i speak to my parents about what, what it was like in the late 80s early 90s what that was like um for them with really high interest rates and the level of borrowing now is huge yeah and if interest rates were going to go through the roof it's going to massively impact everyone. Mm. And then I've been spending the last few days listening to people who are a lot more educated than myself on it and about how the Bank of England and the government are essentially just working against each other. Yeah. Um, They're trying to counter inflation by raising interest rates, but then it's what damage does the interest rates do to to people's costs? Yes, that's it. And then obviously you look at the strength of the pound versus the the dollar. Mm. And everyone thinks, oh my God, massive recessions coming. Again, a lot of noise going on. I'm yeah. not really sure what's... I don't think people should be impulsive in what we do. and it's. But it certainly does make you think twice. Like if you were going to walk into a deal right now that were, you thought was maybe, mm, mm. This, is, this is a nice deal, but not that good. Already, there's a few people I've been talking to where they're thinking, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Or they're trying to buy it and they're going back to the person, the property they're buying it off and saying... Excuse me, but I can't pay what I offered there two months ago because the world is just a different place right now. But, well, attention that Dave outlined last week as well is that actually for a lot of people, a more a house price dip would be positive in the sense if you're trying to ascend the market and trying to get a bigger house because a lot of it's felt out of reach the past few years, hasn't it? Because of the, the sheer gap, whereas everything drops by 20%, the bigger houses become more accessible to people trying to move up. Difficult for people downsizing in the opposite direction. Do you sense it could be opportunity in a way, though, for people, individuals out there? Absolutely. But they, they generally, it all goes, it's like a chicken and egg, where if they've got a house to sell, yeah, they're going to go and try and buy a house in the future. But in order to buy that house, they need to sell their house. Yeah. And if the house that they want to buy has dropped 10%, but the one that wins <laughs> dropped 10%. So you're a little bit closer to the one above if it's more expensive, but still you've got that difficulty yeah. of selling. And, and it's per- not... Yeah, in, a perfect, in a perfect world, you might want to sell your house when it's booming. Like, oh, you might have sold your house two months ago. Yeah. And then you sit on your money, maybe you rent somewhere, and then you hope it drops. But what if it doesn't? Yeah. And if it doesn't drop when you spent £1,000 a month on rent for the next two years, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, yeah. where do you go? And people, when you're talking about houses and talking about homes, like we talk about houses as a business, mm. but when you're talking about your home, do you want to play yeah, play a game with your home when it's it's the roof over your head at night time. You can go, you lock the doors, and you can go to sleep. Yeah, you're comfortable. A lot of you don't. A lot of people don't want to have a gamble or what they would perceive as a gamble with their own home. Yeah, it is interesting because you read, and I'm sort of very rudimentary in my understanding of economics, but you read and listen to people who've made a lot of money, like Warren Buffett, and they're very much bullish on you should invest in things at a time when the market dips mm-hmm. rather than jump. But there's a human instinct. A herd instinct to go with everyone else, isn't it? Yeah, well, Warren Buffett's a perfect one. He he said when he he said be fearful when people are greedy. Mm. He says and when there's fear in the market is the time to be greedy. Yeah. So you would say that six months ago, everyone was greedy. Everyone was trying to get the most out of their home or yeah. things like that. Whereas actually now, 
probably a Warren Buffett is looking at it going, well, actually everyone's fearful now. I'm going to invest. And it wouldn't surprise me now if loads of foreign companies are investing in the UK when the pound is weak because mm. they put £100,000 worth of investment or, or or £10 million into the UK. Yeah. And then if it recovers up to, say, $1.30, they've just added 30% onto their portfolio just like that. Yeah. So is, is that what the government are trying to do? They're trying to just bring in loads of investment to drive... Mm. Inflation. Listen, I'm 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 not on a. <laughs> but it economist. does make you think, doesn't it? Because you didn't until this happened. You're not really aware of it. And actually, my first thought, kind of with your, I guess, twenty something mind, sort of in question was, oh, it's going to be really hard to go on holiday to America. Yeah. And then you start thinking, anything. <laughs> actually, what does this mean? The number says, oh no, all international products, fuel and everything, gas, petrol is bought in U.S. dollars. It's traded in that. So suddenly, it's harder to for, for companies to buy it. So our price will go up. So. It does, it does educate you these moments if you're kind of aware of what's happening for, for future reference. It is. And when we were talking earlier, he says, when you pay, you pay attention. Mm. So no one, I say no one, very, very generally thinking, gas and electric, for the whole of our lifetimes, it's just been a cost that you've got to pay. Mm. But now, you, you've got to pay a lot more. Yeah. So it's like, hang on, this has got our attention. It's been in the media, it's, in, it's hitting our pockets every month at the moment. And the fuel prices, when they went rocketing through the roof, again, when you when it hits people in their pockets, it is attention based. It's it's amazing as well when you look at the economy as well, because I think we have this sense growing up there's this individual thing that lives physically, and then you think maybe it's an intellectual construct, but then you realise how emotional it is. It's just, and it's like trying to hold your emotion relative to the situation rather than what everyone else is going through. Like say during the lockdown when stamp duty's off, everyone's bulldozing their way to the biggest mortgage they can possibly get and yeah. stretching themselves. Whereas now people may be more fearful, more cautious, and you have to somehow try and stay disciplined in the middle. Yeah. And we, and we have to, as, as what we do, we can't stop. Mm. We can't stop at what we do. If we'd have stopped um, when COVID hit, mm. what would have happened? Yeah. It's like, well, actually, everyone's told the world is going to end. They can't do anything. And then who knew that all the property prices would have boomed? Yeah. The construction market has boomed. Everything's boomed in the industry. And even now, unlike with the whole Warren Buffett, everyone who tells you about stocks and shares, like mine have taken a bit of a hit in the last week. But what do you do? Do you do you sell them or do you just go, well, it's, this is... It's so just, it's was just it only a loss if, if you sell? Is that the, That's the adage, isn't it, I think? Yeah, if you, yeah. If you crystallise the loss by selling. But then sometimes that's a bit of ego that gets in the way as well because <laughs> they'll never sell on a sinking ship because yeah. they don't want to solidify the fact that they've lost where some people want to just wait and wait and wait. But they always say time in the market is is important and mm. that's what historically that's what always worked. And for us as property investors and property developers, it's really important that we keep mm. we keep doing business, but we're very diligent at what we do. We're not we're not risky investors and if you need to buy, if your purchase price is slightly less than what it was two weeks ago, so be it. Mm. If that helps protect you from a downturn, that's the way it's going to be. How important is optimism for you, for the business, for us individually, for the, the whole economy collectively, do you feel? I think the property market's good. Um, it's it's a mainstay in the economy. Mm. Um, there's always been value in, in Britain. Well, it's driven by yeah. supply and demand. People need somewhere to live yeah it's not somewhere that you can do without it's not like a disposable something that's in your household you go actually it doesn't matter we need that people need somewhere to live and if we're if we're providing value which is all about our mantras is well let's provide people a good Mm. home yes it might cost you a bit more to do it but then if you're then going to be compared against the rest of the market are people going to want to live in the accommodation that you're producing and if the answer is yes we're going to be fine yeah, and obviously if inflation goes through the roof, people have got more money to spend. People are willing to pay more rent, and they'll pay for quality. And that's exactly what we're, we're just thinking. If our quality is good, mm. stay in the market. You might pivot a little bit on what you do. I don't think I'd want to be taking on a big development of thirty houses now, where the end of that is maybe three years time. Yeah, because what, what what are the material costs like? Are they still going up? Um, yeah, well, yeah, yes and no. I think I think there's been a bit of a correction in material prices, but then it depends who you speak to. Mm. If you speak to builders, it definitely turns <laughs> it definitely turns into a bit of a well. Have you seen the price of that these days? Oh, that's terrible <laughs> now. And sometimes any savings don't get passed on. Yeah. But they're training their customers 
too high price. Mm. Like they might. I heard a quote the other day where someone's gone in to turn a sunroom into a conservatory. Oh, what, sorry. To turn a sorry. What's the difference between a sunroom and a conservatory? Sorry, this has the turn, same thing. To turn a conservatory into a more sunroom where you, you get rid of all the glass sides. It's like brick around the sides. So it's part like of the actual proper structure with some some windows in the attic yeah. to make it like, and they got I heard they've got a rangeries as well is that yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. That's <laughs> fair, yeah. £90,000 and they said how much is that and I said it's never worth that no well, in terms of value on the property yeah, yeah and you think it goes where some people they probably listen it's up, it's up to them to mm. they try and do the best for themselves if they go out and quote a price and they probably don't really need the work Um if someone's willing to pay a really high price, they've probably got more money to go and pay other people to get them to come and do the work for them. Yeah. So it's it's a it is a supply and demand. But if people have got less money in their pockets, mm-hmm. the all these workers in the construction industry they might get hit soon, because if people are on two hundred and fifty pound a day or three hundred pound yeah. a day, they might have to start. And that's it, where people get more discerning in the builders they do use. That's it, because at the moment people have been paying, they had to pay a lot of money for unskilled people or they've not been happy with the work they've got. Mm. And now people might bring them into their homes and go, listen, you're going to do a good job for me. Mm. Or there's going to be less free cash because people might hold yeah, yeah. on to it a bit and, more. And, and the penalty for doing a bad job when you're relying on word of mouth becomes more significant. Exactly. And then there's, it turns into a bit of a competition. There's less people spending, there's less need for plasterers, there's less need for bricklayers. Yeah. And then you've got to be either good at what you do or maybe you might do it for a little bit less. But it's a whole supply and demand. If we're if we're happy to, like with our with our job building materials, we've just to protect ourselves. We're just about to take on a um, a construction project of six houses. Mm-hmm. But Where, whereabouts? Um, over in the Forest of Dean. Yeah, really excited about it. But we've because the market was changing, going back in a few months, you thought there's a little bit of uncertainty. We didn't want to get into that project thinking, well, actually the cost could if they rise ten percent. But if you spend him nearly one point seven million pound on a building mm. project, if it goes up ten percent, that's a big cost. Yeah, yeah. So actually, we've actually employed someone to come and manage the contract for us and put a contract in place where if they go over cost, it's we can take them to court. Yeah. So we're protected against overspend, and we're able to check all the prices that we've been. So it's with. worth you investing in a legal oh, absolutely. advice. Yeah, absolutely, because they then how it works in industry you might go and do a hundred thousand pounds worth of work and then you draw it down from the bank but the bank wants to come and see mm. have you actually done a hundred thousand pounds worth of work would a construction company quote you with a 10 percent buffer for materials going up and then would they reimburse you if the materials didn't go up or is that in the in the contract they've allowed for inflationary prices to a certain amount yeah so you can see it goes actually if they they've, they've got an allowance in there yeah so if there wasn't an allowance in there, we might say to them, well, what happens if the prices go up? So it just means that they've thought about it and it's in there. Again, it's it's stipulated. But how it sometimes is an issue if you don't have someone managing the contract for you is if you spend £100,000 and then the builder quotes you £100,000, the bank can come and check it. Mm. If they think that only £80,000 worth of work has been done, they'll only give you £80,000. Mm. So what it does, it stops the builder from front loading their invoices because they might think well let's let's get the money off at the front and if they stop paying us we'll walk off the job yeah which can sometimes happen and in, in a in a budget let's just say you're building a load of houses and it's a million pounds if you spent seven hundred thousand pound but it's five hundred thousand pound to finish it you've got a problem <laughs> so the idea yeah. of having these contracts manager in place that if you've if they're halfway through the job they've had half the money they haven't had any more Okay. So again, it's it's risk mitigation is what I would say, and we're and working with the right people, which you as you grow, I suppose you're going to have those partnerships with certain to. builders. Yeah, use really experienced people because sometimes what people say and what they do are two different things, mm. um, and you don't want to be falling on the the wrong side of that. <laughs> yeah. where, where actually you're, it's an expensive mistake because you've trusted what someone said. Yeah, and I'm a big believer of if you back people, they'll they'll come good. And the but, problem is your trust is riding on that with your investors, so it's it's exactly. not like it's just you that loses out, yeah. Exactly. It's, well, well, it's, it is only me because there'll there'll never be a day where any investors put any anything at risk. Mm. But you might say, okay, well, let's put all these intentions into place, but let's put it into a contract mm. because it, it makes sense. Sense because it's if someone told me once security guards integrity. Mm. So if people are 
if people are out there lending, and I work with my coaching clients myself, um, and I've had clients recently that they've been looking to invest 200, 300, 400,000 pounds into projects. Yeah. Because they like the people, but actually when they go and then do their due diligence and then they take some advice from solicitors, the solicitors saying, you might need to think twice about mm. this because people get emotional yeah. attachment to money and they sometimes make decisions based on emotion when actually it should be based on facts, figures, intelligence. And, yeah. I, and I work with them to try and get them to ask as many questions as possible, seek the support of all the professionals that's at their disposal. And these professionals might cost them money, but they might go yeah. and spend a few thousand pounds on getting the right advice. But that might then save them from walking into a situation where they've lost four hundred thousand yeah. pounds. You say security guards integrity. That's interesting as well because I think what humans struggle with a lot of us is with discipline in certain arenas of our of our life. Saying what we're going to do and then doing it. It's a big thing. You look at people who can't commit to an exercise regime. People yeah. who can't commit to a diet. People who can't stop drinking. That may be a physiological addiction as well. People would say, but there are a lot of things in life where people might have the best intentions, like doing the building work for you at a certain price, but actually they have had a habit in their life of breaking their commitments, whether yeah. it's personally for, for other people. And I think it's good to good to safeguard that. And the emotion aspect of it, as you're saying there, there's a sort of objective aspect to it, but the broader economy, it is funny how it fluctuates. And I was thinking this week about 1929 and the Wall Street crash and these guys hurling themselves out of buildings in, the, in Manhattan and then thinking if you could say to them, just be optimistic if you switch that pessimism because actually the optimism that you were loving in the roaring 20s that yeah. everything soared you know will come back and that's the cycle we're on and actually optimism not reckless optimism but a sort of modicum of optimism because without it you said people would have stopped doing everything in lockdown people would have given up you know now you're down your tools if, if humans aren't optimistic then it, it the show stops yeah and you've got to keep moving forward like sometimes a good little analogy that I sometimes use is if you're driving the wrong way up the motorway, the worst thing you can do is stop. Yeah. If you're not actually sure, like if you don't, if you're sat on the M1 and you don't know where you you're going, you get the next going, exit. Yeah. You don't know whether you're going north or south. Just keep moving forward, and then the signs will tell you whether you're going the right or the wrong uh, way. That's interesting. Yeah. So just by taking steps, you don't have to make huge big leaps and take huge risk, but just sometimes it's walking to the unknown mm. or driving around at a corner at night time with your headlights on. <laughs> you can't see what's around the corner yeah but with your headlights on you can see the next course of the path but we trust it because it's normal and i think people are so sometimes they don't trust themselves mm. but sometimes rightly so because if you're if, like you say people who are committed to being fit and athletic yeah they say i'm going to do this five times a week and they do it mm. but if someone's and I, again i've got coaching clients myself some people are much more disciplined than others yeah but they shouldn't be compared like someone's success for somebody is going to the gym five times a week where yeah. someone getting to the gym twice a week in the first 12 weeks might be a huge success yeah. for them well they might have other goals in their life as well exactly yeah. so that if that's the case but actually the more t if they set themselves targets that are so far from their norm and they were they rely on motivation they're not in a, they're not coming from a good starting place. No, because motivation is tiring, isn't it? It is. It needs to become a habit. It needs to come from commitment. And where does the commitment come from? Because they need to sell it to themselves of the process. They need to trust the process so well. Actually, going, I believe that if I commit to this training program for the next four months, that is going to be the result. And then maybe set some milestones along the mm. way. And I always say to people, don't limit yourself. Say so if you're and I, I can certainly see some people to start with who I work with. I'm thinking, these guys are just telling me what I want to hear. <laughs> and I don't want to, I want to set them up to win, not set them up to fail. Yeah. I don't want to be coming on the next call going, well, you haven't done that. Why have you not done so it? So they need to be transparent about their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, but I can expose that straight away because mm. you, you, you kind of, you get to know people. And I, I feel like I'm quite intuitive. And then just with a list of questions, someone might say, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You go, well, okay, what, what's the minimum you think you should be doing in, in that particular activity? And yeah. you go, okay, oh, four. And I go, okay, well, let's do a minimum of two. Yeah. But let's see where you can Because get actually, to. people who are disciplined, and I've suffered from this, the, the difficult with discipline, if you are someone you can be over disciplined, which actually becomes ill discipline because what you do is commit to too many things. So they'll say to you, I'm going to do four hours on that. But meanwhile, they've committed to three hours a day working out, 
yeah. you know, three, two hours charity work, whatever it might be, there's a tendency for some of us who find in theory discipline easy to be ill-disciplined by overcommitting to too many things. It is. And then every time you don't do that commitment, you feel bad. You're, you're, well, you feel bad, but you're actually telling yourself that you're untrustworthy and you mm. don't keep your own, your own commitments. Yeah, yeah. Because every, like some people say um, about being present, yeah, like they talk about. Well, actually, I was talking to um, a contractor the other day. He said, "Oh my, my wife drives me mad." And I said, "Why?" And she always says to him, "He says you're in the room, but you're never here." Mm. So actually, every time that you're, every time that you're there, but you're not present, you're actually practicing absence. Yeah. So you you are how you behave, um, and it, it just comes down to everything and how many. It's not nice to be in that situation where you can't trust yourself. Mm. Because if you, so many people, they've got the identity of ah, well, well, some people, do, some people make appointments to ring you or meet up, and then just either don't show up or drop out five minutes before, and you realise that doesn't hurt them. But for me, that would actually personally hurt me, and it would actually make me feel down that day if I did that. Yeah, and well, that, and that's it. And the, the sad thing is, you know who those people are. Mm. When people book an appointment with you, you know, sometimes. Yeah, you might think actually, I'm gonna check. Yeah, uh, this morning yeah. I, had a, I had a meeting at half eight, but at quarter past eight I'm already there, and mm. I'm thinking, am I gonna wait fifteen minutes to find out they're not there? Yeah, or do I text them? I said, I'm still meeting you at half eight. Message came back. Oh, I'm a bit late. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. But there's some people you think, but you but, don't but, even but need mobile to check. phones. That's the scourge of mobile phones. It almost provides people with easier cancellations, last minute sort of delays, yeah. doesn't it? We still remember the days of growing up in an era when you'd say to your friends on Friday night, I'll meet you in town tomorrow by the fountain at 9am and it kind of yeah. had to be there, otherwise they'd go off and do something yeah. else. Yeah, that's so true. You just you brought a real vivid memory back. We used to go out on a Saturday night Yeah, and you say, oh no, you out Saturday, you out Saturday? And there'd be one of our mates who used to go, yeah, might do, might do. Yeah. <laughs> you know that as soon as they said might do, that is not a... Yeah. And then... This this Friday, I'm hosting a bit of a a, a tour yeah. around our listed building uh, project in Gloucester. Oh, nice! So people, some people from a closed network have come in, and someone has messaged me, and I know them quite well, so this isn't unfair on them. They messaged me said, "Oh, Duffo, I'm interested in coming to that," and I just put, "Are you interested or committed?" Yeah, because I know. Well, it's it's now a big I'm, lesson, I'm, isn't it? I think I've wasted my own time sometimes saying I might do. I just got to say yes or no now, because if I don't say yes or no. You just it's in your mind as an inconclusive and everyone else's mind as inconclusive. And bet you one, I like time stealing. There's a good friend of mine, um, he messaged me this morning. He said, Shane, because he, he's doing a lot more in property now. Yeah. He's doing a lot more and he's been a lot more visible. And by that, he's getting a lot more people trying to command some of his time. Mm. They're, looking to, they're looking to meet up for a coffee. Oh, can I find out what you're doing? Can I come and see one of your projects? And he's kind of, how, how do I cope with this? And now he's just got loads of unread messages and he's feeling bad that he's not yeah. getting back to people. I go well. Sometimes saying saying no, yes, is actually the best thing you can do for them and to you. So you're not wasting their time. They're not hanging on for you to get back. And yeah. but that's a difficult thing, isn't it? It's a difficult thing coming through making it in sports journalism, which was always billed as very competitive. It's like you have to take on everything you can, work thirty out thirty days in a row, whatever it is. I've realised that the past few years, when you get other commitments, family, etc., which is great. That's part of your goals to be successful in life. You know, if I can stay married, I think that's a huge, a huge <laughs> achievement. It just it is because it's someone else's kind of seal of approval on what you've what you've been doing. But you do have to say no to, to several things, even if things that are philanthropic or positive or would be fun to do. But like you say, you have to have that clarity of, of saying no, and, and hopefully people kind of understand, and then everyone can move on. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I'm fascinated by it already. I'm reading the book at the moment for writers. Yeah, I've got I've got no affinity to a writer um but i actually circled it's not a stephen king book is it he's written one on writing no stephen priestfield is it oh, okay and i even took that i took a photo of one little passage and shared it with a mate of mine and it talks about when you and it was talking about being amateur or professional yeah and obviously writers need to be creative to be to be a writer but actually he said well, I need to have the discipline to go and sit in a room and be ready to write like at the same time every single day because yeah. if, if I relied on just feeling in the mood it would never happen <laughs> yeah um, and a bas- and he, he once got to a stage where he's involved in um, a real big movie I can't remember the name of it and it completely flunked and completely failed mm. and he was going to start beating himself That's up probably saying, why I can't remember the name saying <laughs> I'm finished 
And um, he says, my friend Tony Kuppelman snapped me out of it by asking if I was going to quit. Hell no. And they said, well, then be happy. You're where you wanted to be, aren't you? So you're taking a few blows. That's the price of being in the arena and not on the sidelines. Stop complaining and be grateful. Ah, that's like to reference to Theodore Roosevelt's quote, isn't it, about the uh, being mm. in the... You know, glory to the man in the arena. Yeah, not the, not the people yeah. on the sidelines. Yeah, and it's the final the little bit here was that was when I realised I had become a pro. I had not yet had a success, but I had had a real failure. Mm. So lots of people through fear of failure don't do it, but the ones who you're willing to take the failure to keep striving because you trust yeah. you trust that it's going to happen, and it's all about putting goal scorers in football. Mm. Um, some people are classed as like the old Gary Lineker types are oh, just lucky always in the right place at the time, yeah. right time and I always say to even my clients I'm like well it's amazing how lucky you get yeah. the more often you do the right thing or what you perceive and sometimes you have thing. that fear of football where you would be near the goal and you think oh god I'm going to be you know getting a shot here I'm going to fluff it and you know, being candid and then you think about people and I don't know the full story but Fernando Torres was obviously going through some psychological issues when he went from Liverpool to Chelsea became a different player and actually you'd see him running away from goal quite yeah. often in a different direction like he used to run Bendis runs directly to go into goal and he'd be lethal yeah. and quick and strong and suddenly he was sort of like almost dribbling out towards the corner flag it's, it's, it's all how you see yourself I mm. remember being a young pro at Cheltenham and the squad was full of senior players and we'd, might be, it might be a little four aside football match where there's only four outfield players. Yeah. So you you kind of need to take the time on the ball. And in my early career, I wasn't that comfortable with the ball at my feet. Mm. And actually, I was in an environment where I thought, oh my God, I was so <laughs> fearful about making a mistake. And how much was that your technical proficiency, but how much was your mental Major- Majority that. Yeah. Majority the second part, yeah. mental. And you'd almost be, you'd, you'd almost like half be available to the goalkeeper to roll your ball. <laughs> yeah. But then you, you didn't be, really want it. <laughs> yeah. So you want, you, you, you're technically hiding. Yeah. Um, where much later in my career because you thought well you start looking into the future and going, if you persist with these behaviours the game is going to kick you out anyway mm. well this is what I always come back to actually something that resonated with me the first time we spoke was that epiphany that you had about just being more visible around the training ground and how that eventually yeah. correlated with you getting into the team oh and I'd be there then I, I can literally polar opposite I'd be on the board I'd be screaming demanding the football when I'm, I'm probably not in the best position to receive it. Yeah. But then I might get it and I might turn and someone tackles me, but then they score Yeah. in a training match. You think, well, just get on the ball again. Yeah, yeah. You talk about Alex Ferguson talking about Ronaldo when he first came to Man United. Oh, yeah. He just, he, Brazilian step over. He's just getting just... smashed left, right and centre, not doing very good. And Fergie, his biggest credit to him is he's always wanted the ball. He might give the ball away 10 times mm. or mess up 10 times, but he wanted it again. And as it's showing up all the yeah. time like in any industry what you want to do whether it's gym related if you want to be a better um, musician a singer yeah. an artist a dancer a cook it's just been not not shrinking yeah and that professional versus amateur relationship a lot of people say a profession if you're if you're pro is when you get paid mm. but then this this artist would say no it's not actually if you get paid it's how you adapt yourself yeah because how many times do you you go to your job and you're you're there when you don't feel great. Mm. You're like, come rain or shine, you're there. You've got to be doing, you've got, you've got a deadline to match. Ta- from a pressure that's been put on from a, a boss, a colleague, you don't want to let your team down. You've got all these motivations to turn up for work. But then actually when you're trying to turn up for something that you're passionate about or you want to make it... And even at work, are you standing out as well? That's another thing, isn't it? Are you doing enough and sort of yeah. hiding in the corner? Or are you getting out there and speaking to people and... And then if you're trying to make a difference for your own life, mm. it's like, well, are you willing to show that same commitment to what you say you're passionate yeah. about? But a lot of people aren't. Because being accountable to yourself is, some people find difficult, don't they? Motivationally, I think that's psychologically, oh. they've actually studied that, that certain people can set themselves a goal and find it easier to achieve than mm. other people can. They, this, need, they, need, they need a boss to say, do this. This morning was a prime example of that, where I, I, I have a video call with my mate at 5.20, five days a week. Mm. Just and it would just do ten minutes, a little press ups and sit ups, nothing major. It's not. It's only <laughs> literally ten minutes, and then I read from five thirty to five fifty. I just do twenty wow. minutes reading every day. That's my little discipline. So you're part of five a.m. five a.m. club, are you? That's well, called. my alarm goes off at five oh five, and then I've got another one set for five thirteen. All right, <laughs> because because my, my first snooze will go off at five fourteen. So if I'm not there, I've had to go through three alarms. What does your wife make of this? Is she alright with this? No, she sleeps through it now. All right, good. But um. 
but that kind of thing where and I rang him yeah. what's that video call 520 he wasn't there yeah and I was like, and I, do you know what I was tempted I was really tempted to go oh let's go get a bottle of cereal yeah but because he wasn't there but actually that's probably the only reason I mention it now is I didn't I did I did the little session myself mm. and actually at 5.30 I was walking in to make a cup of tea yeah before doing the reading and that was the biggest win for me mm. because I had done it away from there was no group accountability there was no, or, there yeah. was no group and actually I was accountable to myself mm. and, I, and I, it carries so much more weight you sometimes need the community to keep you going but actually the real test is when like the old boxers say the real work's done when yeah. the lights aren't on yeah and well something was, like that I think you have to be because I could be disciplined to that and then it would be a case of my wife needs me to do something with Zoe or whatever and I would be like oh, conflicted but those cases you have to drop that commitment um, but I think I think you're right is that trying to do it with other people is difficult because they might have an emergency in their life or something going on and you never know that it's yeah, and he, everyone's circumstances are different yeah and he texts me he texts me about um, half six when oh god I'm so sorry like, <laughs> don't worry and yeah. I could have easily gone come on mate but well you can I, only discipline yourself can't you you don't worry about other people's discipline you just hope that if yeah. you've gone a good path that some things you're doing well rub off and help people if it's helping you yeah and people know now hopefully my reputation will tell me that people will say if Shane said he's going to do something he's going to do it yeah that type of approach and that, that's key to not committing to too many things and yes. then yeah like you said that's the kind of, it's interesting because life is a bit more nuanced than you really understand and talking about discipline I think it's fascinating I was speaking to Dave Brickell last week and he actually left West Ham at under 16 he was offered YTS uh, but didn't do it because his parents wanted him to do A levels he's very academic became a finance person in the city now works in crypto and I think that probably is the best path for him but it's a shame that he didn't commit to it but he's, his insight was that a lot of people in football were so focused he said he played with Paul Konchesky he played with Joe Cole that was everything they had in their life but they're focused and disciplined around that but he said is there a, there's a simplicity of that in a sense but obviously these people are elite they've done something that what every little boy wanted to do at the time but he said it's whether you can extrapolate and this is part of the reason I started the podcast sport in life can you extrapolate the character the qualities of playing a good level sport or even a recreational sport what you can get out of that in terms of mindset and it's often a, a difficult transition but that's what you're trying to do with property isn't it is you're now looking to get footballers involved in, in something like property investment which presumably they can yeah. take that, that that discipline but then without a a boss like who was it at the time Harry Redknapp whoever was at West Ham will you be able to do that without the boss around you to, to be on your back and say go out and make these sales yeah no it's true and it, it's I, I've been thinking about it now for a couple of years I would love to be able to offer something for it doesn't have to be just sport people within it doesn't have to be just football sorry get anyone within sport and not necessarily them invested me mm. or because obviously I do I do some coaching where people pay me for my time and I help them along their journey, but with football there's something a little bit different for me. Whereas I want a bit that's what I want my contribution to be because I know how hard it is to go from that industry and that identity mm. where your life changes in 24 hours. So you look at Rob Edwards, Forest Green, yeah, ten games into Championship season, it's wild, even by Watford sacked. standards, <laughs> yeah, sacked. Like yeah, I'm sure people always go, oh yeah, I'm sure he got a payout, but whatever happens, he's he's been sacked. Wait, well, I, I put on Twitter, not this particularly great to blow up my Twitter, but just that I hope that he hadn't moved his family because I think things yeah. like that he's moved from Gloucestershire to Watford, exactly. and then schools. So you're, you're you're so right. So I want to be able to contribute in a certain way, but again, I can't I can't do all that for free. There has to be an exchange of value in some way. Yeah. But being, when you when you've been a footballer, and not even the level I played, I was never paid um, ridiculous amounts of money or the money that so, like, certainly. So people who don't players. people who don't know, you played for Cheltenham and Bradford, what League One level, and then you had a abrupt injury that wasn't covered by insurance, and then you you That's basically it. had to restart. Yeah. So all my all my time in football was eleven years and played most of it at League One or League Two level. So, I'd love to tell you, oh, if you play Premier League or this type of, but it just wasn't. It wasn't the case. It wasn't good enough to be there. Mm. Um, and now I came out, had to come out of it, and I found a really hard way of getting myself through. And then knowing what I know now, I'm thinking, God, I wish I'd have started this years ago. 
And I, I think at what I do, I'm pretty good. Mm. Not only in property investing, but the actual coaching side. Well, you wish you'd done it whilst you were playing as a sideline. Yeah, just mate. Yeah, just being. I was always interested in it. Again, mm. I was interested, but I wasn't actually going to. I didn't wasn't committed enough to do anything. The, qu- about the it. question is, can you play elite level sport and commit the energy and time to other things? It's difficult because people will say, "Only oh, train for a couple of hours a day," but then I don't know. Yeah. Do you need that focus? It's an interesting one. Well, you, I think as a footballer, you've got time to educate. You can educate mm. yourself. You can work on things. You can develop your you, you develop your mind. Yeah, you can develop your mind, and when you're going to be open to risks like this, you have got some time. Where Even if you're not taking and, meetings and doing more yeah, in, involved things, they, they can use their profile to open doors for them. So let's just say you're a typical championship player in I don't know in Sheffield. Let's mm. just say whether it's Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Let's take that as an example. There's going to be enough supporters of that football club, and with their support base, they might be so many people in the property sector. They might be in the financial industry. If that's what you want to go into as a property investor, you can probably go and steal an hour of somebody's time because they want to spend an hour of your time. Yeah, and they could probably have a conversation and build yeah. up a network of people. Particularly, that, they're a Sheffield United fan or Wednesday fan. Exactly. Yeah. So you could probably tap into that, and I would encourage them to do so. Whereas, and when it comes to financing football. There's a lot of people always with the handout. Mm. There's always people who get they get told off, oh, lads, or now now in the the female game as well, they're going to be driving a lot higher income. There's going to be people coming in who want a piece of them. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking earlier, finance is trust. So someone might come in and say, right, we're selling these investments, um, or or here's a financial advisor. We, we're going to do this for you. And it's constantly people always want to try and get into that industry. Mm. So I don't know how I'm going to do it. If you've got any suggestions, I would love to potentially, whether it runs some workshops, whether it's paid for by the PFA or paid for by the club, but I almost want to go and support the players, but not have yeah. the payers, the players. I don't want it to be like for a personal personal gain, because I want it to be, if you're going to teach people how to do it or... But why not? Because you coach people now, why not coach footballers? But do it well, for I the do, same rate as you do it for, yeah, for no, people I, now. And I probably could, that's probably the way it would end up having to be. But I want to use my link to football, and that's why yeah. I've not done it so yet because I want to make it. I want to make it a right so, offer. Do you see it something coaching them to do what you're doing, or maybe asking them to re- to invest in the projects that you've got going Ide- on? Ideally, not. But then sometimes mm. that's the because it depends on what level of I don't know what level of footballer you're going to because obviously people be, from Premier League may want to invest in you rather than they could do it themselves. Do, but if you find out if, by working with them, you find out what they need, and then you can start working. Yeah, working what what works really. But I did, if they become coaching clients, I don't potentially want them to invest with me because I, I personally see that's a bit of a conflict of interest. Yeah. Um, because you might use your position of yeah power. Mm. Like you could you could potentially coerce me. I, I don't really want to be suggestion. I'd, yeah. I'd rather keep my nose clean in that respect. And if you're gonna, someone said he goes, if you feed someone a fish, they can feed for a day. <laughs> but if you teach them how to fish. They can go on and do that, but, and I, I'm a big believer. If you go and give them the tools to make themselves strong, invest themselves, that carries a, a, my impact or my legacy has impacted them over a long period of time. Is your is your sense that when you look at when you picture in your mind the person you'd be coaching, would it be someone from a League One, League Two background that you'd have empathy with in terms of their um, place in life and what what they want for the next half of their life? Not really. It, it really it really doesn't matter. It really no. does, it's it's just working with them as people because they're. Uh, that whatever level they are as a football ability and however big their bank balance is or how small their bank balance is, it doesn't determine how well they're going to be in this sort of industry. Some yeah. people, they might have got to the top through an absolute desire and a grit and determining them, you might really want to work with those. Whereas some people in the same financial stability in the same team, you might think, actually, I've got no... Are there people who make it to the too professional who don't have that discipline and determination? Is that possible? Yeah. I think really? there is. I think there is. What's that natural gifts that they've got Na- there? Natural gift, but I don't. That that's dangerous to say that actually because I don't I don't fully agree with it because people always say, and like myself, and I think if you listen to me brother talk, he Mike, Michael will always play himself down and go, oh well, I was never good enough, and he he was always got motivation by proving people wrong. Like he went went through all the way leagues and he got the next level he got the next level he went up to the championship is he going to be good enough oh yes he was what was the lessons from his story do you think from the outside um, he's, he's clearly very very driven in what he's what he's done and obviously mm. believed in himself and the work ethic he'll always say he squeezed everything he had out of himself and he's probably doing the same now as manager if yeah. you asked me as a footballer did I squeeze all I could out of myself I would say yes there would be people more naturally gifted than us, you'd say yes, but actually, like you look at the Ravel Morrison's of this world, mm. 
he's playing to a level. So Michael he, figured out what the minimum was, what he needed to do on the pitch, what was required of him, and he focused on doing rather than Cruyff turns and well, probably just to be effective. And, yeah, how do you be the most effective teammate to to help your team achieve the common goal, which is normally winning a football yeah. match? How do you be the most yeah, you want you want people to play with you. <laughs> so if he's playing fullback, he's not pretending to be Cafu or anything like galloping yeah. down the wing. And yeah. yeah, and it was the biggest the biggest credit that I used to love acknowledgement I got from my own teammates when I like you'd be in a training session on a Thursday morning, you'd be doing like a five a side, mm. and I was a centre half, and I used to be first pick. Mm. pick and I'm like, oh, I'll, yeah, no problems because I knew how, and it was a nice big pick me up or be that kind yeah. of thing. Um, they neither didn't want, didn't want you attacking them on the other side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. You're probably right. So, was it Munch? Was your nickname? Was it? Yeah, yeah. So it's it goes it goes around that. I can't remember the original question now. What was the question? Just about what you learned from Michael in terms of going oh, through, and you, and you saying that you couldn't necessarily. There were some people that would land themselves in professional football, not ridiculously disciplined or dedicated. Yeah. And I think now. I think you can get yourself into all the way through the ranks in academies by being super gifted, and the environment will keep pushing you forward. It'll yeah, keep, it'll keep it's it's there. I call it in the slips. So if you're if you're the quickest one percent over ten meters, you've probably got a good shot making it as a striker if you can hit the ball fairly yeah, hard. That could be an example, maybe. So their their jobs now in academies to try and isolate these talents and try and give them the best support to try and push them forward, further forward. But all they can do, they can try and get them further forward. But then when you're at elite level. And you're only ninety nine percent committed. That that's a big difference. Mm. If you're ninety nine percent committed, what does that? Do yeah. Do you think Premier League players, any of those, would like discipline? What do you think? I don't think. They, I think the game. Oh, I don't know. Is no. that where people like Ravel Morrison? Who we don't know the full story behind yeah. the scenes of Ravel, but that presumably had the talent to be a elite Premier League player, but yeah. hasn't become a Premier League player. And I think the it's such a it's such a disciplined lifestyle at the moment. They can't do anything. Mm. How how restricting is it? They can't walk down the street. If one, they could be a Premier League football player. They lose on a Tuesday night, and they walk into a shop on a Wednesday, and they have got the hood up. Yeah, and photographed. It's like such a negative. It's hard to deal with. Yeah, but I would say if they can't lead a disciplined lifestyle now, I would say over time the game will just kick them out. Mm. The game will because there's so many people who want to do it in the industry, and they can't be trusted. But someone might pay you at League One level because if you get ten goals a season, they might think it's worth giving you. Couple exactly. of grand a week or whatever, yeah. And I'd love to think how many managers regret because managers have all got egos, right? They always think, mm. well, that 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 player they've never had the care and attention they love, and a manager yeah. is always going to think, do you know what? I've got the skills to turn that player around. Yeah. But how many? T- so you've all you've got these like they're clusters troublesome players. Yeah. And sometimes they just it, well, just, it has it worked just in hits. the past, hasn't it? Because Peter Taylor and Brian Clough at Nottingham Forest, that was the the, the legend was that. They'd identified players who were cheap on the market because they had issues mm. with their personality, addiction issues, drinking, whatever it was. And they'd go and say, well, right, we can make you an elite player because you've got the ability. But And they get them cheap. And then they, they won two European Cups. And I don't know yeah. if that became more difficult to do. Forest struggle more. Knows? But, yeah. but I think you're right. I think all managers have got to have that self-belief that they can turn any player into a perfect player. Mm. Sometimes they're going to make mistakes. And sometimes it might cost them a job. Yeah. Sometimes we might no. They might excuse me, Mister and Mrs. Chairman. I want you to spend that amount of money on this player because this player is going to win us the league. And so, then they go AWOL, and they probably get sacked. <laughs> yeah. So you can envisage getting a great candidate would be a driven League One or League Two footballer who'd made the best of their ability, who actually wanted to channel that into something now. Yeah. Going Set, forward, setting themselves up for the future. I would, I would love to, and that would be. I would see that. I would see that as a big, a big success for me. I've got a very good track record. A lot of people who I've worked with, they've gone on to grow portfolios all at different levels. Some yeah. people have gone on to build multi-million pound portfolios in a short period of time because that's their focus and actually it's become easy for them. Whereas some people, it's a completely different journey. Mm. But I feel as they've got the skills to work with two types of, well, two types of multiple different types of people. Because I work with some people who are based abroad and they yeah. invest in the UK. And there's a, there's a teammate sort of aspect to it isn't it if you're a good teammate then presumably you're quite a good people's person that they yeah. can get on with people understand people yeah and I would um, if people wanted to if they wanted to speak to me they could speak to me yeah. if they wanted some referrals if they wanted this oh, no, I know I'm on LinkedIn page there's a few people who have written a recommendation so Shane Duff on LinkedIn is the best place to yeah, yeah, come yeah. to you and it's only a few, a few words that a few people have been willing to 
yeah. they wanted to put on there, they can always go in. But they can direct message you on LinkedIn, can they, if they wanted yeah. to. If or go it. through my Instagram page at Lecampton Property Group. Yeah. It, it's just a... Lecampton Property Group. If people yeah. wanted to reach out, we can all, I'd call it a discovery call. Yeah. And say, well, okay, what is it What is it you want out of this? You can find out what they want. And ultimately, yeah. straight away, you can go, well, actually, this is it's probably worth another call or maybe a meeting or... Okay, well, is it just a little bit of advice that they need and I give it to it and they go on their merry way? Mm. So be it. Because you only want to work with, I don't want to be a full-time property coach. Yeah. I really like working with people and it's a passion of mine to do it with sports people. Because you feel what the, you want to help them because of your journey. Sport, sport, you can't, sport isn't a one-time yeah. career. No. Like top players, if they go and earn a lot more money and yes, they might have a bit of money that drive them through the next few years and they might develop yeah. other business interests but what about those ones that don't how can you can't be a footballer until you're 65 70 yeah and, and what happens when you don't have a management team saying to you you've got training on tuesday you have to be here xyz exactly. i hear footballers whose bank account was set up by the football club they yeah. you know there's people who you know life is suddenly uncharted territory at 35 isn't it yeah and there's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot of good there's a lot of very good people in in football I think football sometimes gets a bad name because it, all the good stuff that they do mm. doesn't uh, doesn't ever get seen. But I would say all the players I've played with, I, I can probably name two. I won't name them. There's probably two that I really thought, actually, they are not for me. Like, you don't have to be best mates <laughs> yeah. with people, but there's two two people that I just thought, do you know what? That I, <laughs> that's, I, I just I yeah. would not have it, any um, eagerness or desire to spend time with them. No. Well, that's a good, good thing. You probably probably don't. Life's, life's too short in a sense, isn't it? If a footballer was to approach you, would they also need, other than just maybe money if they're going to invest or, or do time, they, do, they, do they, they need that? an academic qualification to go into no. property? Is there anything? Because you did courses, didn't you, in property before you started? Uh, yeah, probably, but it wasn't academic. Hmm. There were no qualifications that you say, all oh, right, I'm now certified to do X, Okay, Z. so it's not like personal training or something where you need to do no. level one, two, three, or whatever. No, no not or, at co- all. or football coaching, yeah. No, and you don't even need money to invest. Mm. Like if you're, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be yours. It could be okay. We'll set it up in a in a different yeah. different structure that they not, they might need to find someone who's got money, and it's all about they if they're they're themselves if they're going to do a joint venture with somebody with someone that they know who's potentially got some money to put in. It's like well, how what do they need to learn and get better at to add value to that? Partnership? How difficult is that asking for money? Is that the difficult most difficult part? It's not easy. Getting used to that it's, idea. It's much easier when you tell them it's an opportunity rather than asking for money because sometimes, yeah. like we honestly, we have made so many people so much money mm. just by giving them a return on their money. And actually, when you when you send them, they're so appreciative and they go, oh, "This is great. Mm. This this is amazing. Thanks. Oh well, I never would have earned this money elsewhere." But then actually, it's actually having that. Well, thank you, thank you for believing in us and doing us a favour and investing in us. But actually, you're you're creating them an income at the same time. Mm. So actually, right, I think it is that it's getting out of that. But mindset. also, you're 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 not cold calling Joe Blogs and saying no. I want your money. You're actually speaking to people who are presumably predisposed yeah. to want to give you money to to invest. Yeah. They they've obviously got an appetite for for investing. They they gen, they sometimes heard or from a third party going, oh, I've I've heard you've um, made my friends some money. How do you, how do you do that? Can I? Can yeah. you tell me about this, please? And you go, no, no problems. Some people just want to ask you a few questions. Someone want to know how you do it. Someone, some people want to do it themselves. Mm. And I'm a big believer of, if you just give, you'll get paid. I, I trust the process in that mm. I'm a very big believer in the law of reciprocity. Reciprocity. Yeah, a big believer of that. Yeah. He goes, well, if you, if you give a load of good out there, you'll get plenty back in, yeah. in abundance. Um, and I'm, 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 very, I'm not scarcity mindset. No. Like someone last week, um, there's someone I know who's got a lot of money and I've put them in touch with somebody else because I think they might be a good fit for each other. Okay. And then someone said, why have you done that? Yeah. Why have you done that? But that might bounce back to you later in life. Yeah. And, and I'm a big believer in that. And they said, mm. well, they're, they're, not, they're not investors for me. Mm. I'm like, just, just the way they're set up, they're not, they're not perfect for me. But actually, I think those two together are a good fit. Mm. They might not go and also, you, you're not scarcity minded, but you said pragmatically at the moment you're looking at shorter term projects because presumably they're less immune to property swings and value at the moment. Honestly, if they someone in a very similar situation, we'd be they'd be we're like, yeah, let's let's definitely work with you in that yeah. scenario. But something something just told me, went actually, these aren't for me, but actually I can put them in touch with a few people. Yeah. So I put them together and almost set them up and said, have a chat. 
and they, they were both kind of thinking why aren't you why aren't you doing this yeah yeah and i and i thought well, but you get value in life and credit that's not financial don't you so that's a yeah. different type of emotional credit yeah and reputation reputation is what people say about you when you're not there mm. and i'd like to, you're not going to please everybody no um, and there's going to be some people who feel wrong by you or whatever but I think if you go through life and most people think you've given them a positive experience, it's, it's not going to do any harm. And also an action carries more weight than someone saying Shane's a nice guy. You're actually doing demonstrably something generous you know, and altruistic. It would take stock that someone can actually say, oh, Shane, he's very trustworthy because he won't necessarily work with you unless it's right for him. He's passed on big deals to other people. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it's so many times. And you always know those people that help you out and you think, oh, actually... Mm-hmm. I can help them out <laughs> and then when you start doing it and you think actually it's okay to do that rather than think oh I can't tell anyone about this yeah yeah but would you so for you at the moment though, you said you're going to go on what six house short term projects you think in the current climate? well we've got, we got a few things going on but they're just not really they're not three year projects yeah we've got we've got five flats to build in London we've got six houses to build in the Forest of Dean what part of London? Uh, Bexley, South East. Oh, right, okay, I don't know too much. It's what, near Peckham, that kind of area. Um, Dartford. Dartford, yeah. Yeah, down that the way. The tunnel. <laughs> yeah, just over Bexley Heath, it's there. It's yeah. There. So it's uh, 20 minutes from town, is what they say down there. Oh, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's just 20 minutes. Well, that's right it's quite nice for you to have a London London project. Yeah, it's taken ages. We bought it as a bungalow October 2020. Mm. Um, took us a year to get planning permission on to build a pair of semi-attached houses. But because materials had gone up, mm-hmm. we thought it's going to be a bit risky to build it. So we went back in for planning to turn it to five flats, and we've got planning permission for that now. Oh, sweet. So what, what's happening with the London property market? Because I've heard different things about that. Well, in this area, it boomed. Really? Yeah, completely boomed. Because that's the sort of periphery of the sort of greater London area, so people are moving yeah. out to there from central. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's happened, but it's, it's gone well. Like we had, you, when we got the planning for two houses, yeah. they valued the two houses at the end as 1.35 million. Okay, but the five flats in the footprint of the five flats is on the same footprint yeah, of the two houses, yeah. but the value of the flats is closer to one point six to one point seven. So four hundred thousand pounds more. Yeah, but actually the build cost shouldn't be too much difference. Mm. But what it does do, we might not make well, we should hopefully make a lot more money. But in our point of view, from our risk wriggle room, yeah, it's like well, it gives you a much larger buffer because if you're starting to build houses, there's only one way out of it. You need mm. to finish them. Yeah, and you don't want to be. Yeah, all, I think we've all seen houses that are sort of half built for years, and, and the yeah. side of the road and things like when you drive past. There's one, there's one approach in Burford, I think, which has been finished now, actually, which is yeah, another one you're in, which is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see that every every time. That's that's good. That's good to know. And I suppose that's a good area of London, actually, because you're in contact with the financial part of London, aren't you? South East. The only thing up. I don't like about it is it's so far away. Mm. So again, we've got a partner down there who we're working with this particular project, but when. If you if you haven't got as much control, that's why we want a bigger buffer. Yeah, you got slightly. So actually, West control. London or Southwest would be significantly easier for you to access, wouldn't it? I suppose. Because it's funny that you think of London as London, but actually, what part of London makes a big difference? Oh, yeah, I'm, I remember driving to Crystal Palace a couple of times. <laughs> God, it's miles away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then it's it's got the shop on the corner, hasn't it? Crystal to Selhurst Park and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, it's we're in the middle of housing it's estate. Hard yeah, hard to get to, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, if it was down Surrey way, perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's a, it's a big thing, and that's why I think I never lived east. I was born in East London, but if all our family was west, so you always lived in West London when you were there because you could get out get out quickly and get get to wherever you're going because it almost doubles your time once you hit London. Yeah. Yeah, traffic and everything. So, Shane, Leckhampton Property Group, social media, get yeah. in touch with you. Quickly want to ask you about the football. What have you made of Cheltenham and, and your brother at Barnsley? Cheltenham, I'm really pleased to see them pick up a few results recently. Um, it started off not not great, but I'm going to be honest. Similar to under Michael, isn't it? I mean, I don't mean yeah, to well, be d- d- negative, but it's felt like it, they've been close games that they've been losing. I think I think when Michael went in there, they were, they were a losing team anyway. Mm. So he's gone in there and they've like carried on losing. I know the pressure was on him a bit for the first 10 games. Um, and Wade, I, f- I feel sorry for Wade. Yeah. That'd be funny. You've got Michael there who's, I know he's my brother, but... Town legend. They've just had the most successful yeah. league in history. They've just won the league the year before. Yeah. Wade's gone in there, picking up the pieces. Not picking up the pieces, obviously. There's a manager gone. He's obviously done a lot of good things. Some players have left, haven't they? And some players have left and he's gone and he's left with a bit of a shell. Obviously, Wade was part of the backroom staff, so he was he was able to provide a bit of continuity. Mm. But ultimately, sometimes when there's a change like that, it doesn't always work. And it, I felt for them a bit when it didn't it didn't go well for the first few games. 
but then I was really pleased to see when they start picking up a few points. Yeah, that's when actually they're just above the relegation zone now. I think, aren't they? And you yeah. feel like if they can stay there this season's transition. That, that, that's it'd be funny if they if they stay up. It's a massive success. Yeah, it's a huge success. Even last year, thought what they did last year was incredible, and if Wade keeps them up this year, that's absolutely mm. just as good. They're not going to be. Yeah. It might not be like a, a record-breaking year, but it will be amazing for him. And now, the, every week that goes by, they become more his team he's he's signing his own players he's adding his own identity and stamp on the team he's just got to pick up some if they if they, if they win one lose one draw one every three games they'll be fine yeah but and it must be difficult for him to make that transition I don't know what it's like in the dressing room but presumably when you're a coach you're kind of closer to the players in a sense there's more of a camaraderie where suddenly when you become the boss you're the person making the hard calls you have to have a little yeah. bit more distance that's well that's completely up to him how he how he does mm. it and I know some managers like to really distance themselves where some want to be more of a coach and they're yeah. in their faces but I'll just be that's up to yeah. him Russell and the other members of the backroom team to and how's Michael because he wasn't that far away from the sort of lower end of the table with Barnsley but I looked to, just before we started recording he's up to fifth now he's been on a good yeah, run they've done They've done really well, actually, mm. um, considering they've they've lost a lot of players. That again, if you think about the culture that you walked into, I think they won three games last year in the championship. Yeah, maybe maybe four. Whoa! Or I, I don't even know. But they they and their best players left. Yeah, and then he's got a load of disgruntled players who they're probably not happy that they're in League One and they want to leave. Mm. <laughs> Mike, Mike is probably like, there's probably a reason you're not in the Championship anymore. Yeah. And all the best ones have gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you kind of need to work for me. So you have to have uh, confidence, but you have to be realistic as well yeah. about your, where you are. Yeah, and I think the the way the club's set up, they, they've they employed a coach. I think they want Michael to make their players better rather than going out into the market and giving him money to spend because they haven't given him yeah. any, any money to spend. Because he helped the Cheltenham players in defence a lot. I think they, they talked about how he helped their defending and body shape and things like that. So, and sometimes basics. Sometimes basic stuff where you almost assume professional players. You hear it a lot, actually. They might not have been coached for 10 yeah, years. That's exactly... that. You're spot on. Yeah, How many times I'd read a Cheltenham programme last year or a couple of years ago and you speak to the defenders who come in on loan yeah, and they might be going, oh, you've helped me so much regarding defending. You're thinking, well, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the big push in the last 15 years has been play, 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 play. Play with the ball, yeah. You, you, just this morning, I was on the radio talking about the England game. They're saying they haven't got any good defenders. But then you go back go yeah. back a generation, you've got Rio Ferdinand, John Terry. Um, they just went through all of them. Yeah. Like before that, Sol Campbell. Yeah. Think, oh, Ledley King was in the same era, yeah. Ledley King, Jonathan yeah. Woodgate. Yeah. Who else? Matthew Upson was around that time, wasn't he? He was a good, yeah. decent defender, yeah. But the game's changed a little bit where you've got to be much more than a defender, but sometimes you lose the art of defending. Mm. So sometimes you've got a manager who knows all about that. He can instill that into the team yeah. and it provides a bit and of... And as an underdog role. team, you need you need that, don't you? Yeah, but then so I think sometimes because Michael was a defender, he gets tagged up, oh, the teams are... The, everyone just says that they win a few games. They win the two games 3-0, or 3-1. And he goes, oh, well... Oh yeah, but he sets his team up well. Yeah, but they've, they've just scored six goals. Yeah, in the last. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's having the ability. But have you been up to see any of the games yet? I went up to the Cheltenham game. Did you? Yeah. Did you feel a sense of size of the club? Does it feel big? I know you were in that part of the world, weren't you, at um, Bradford? But well, I think they had. I think they're just had just over ten thousand there at the yeah. weekend. I think it's. I think it's a bit of it will. I think if he keeps them going, I mean, it's a competitive area because you've got the two Sheffield clubs right on your doorstep as well. Yeah, it's a good football area, and I think if he keeps some results going, there seems to be. A bit of an, a level of expectancy. I think it was a bit of a yeah. hmm, Michael go, hmm, we'll see, <laughs> and then all of a sudden. But I think he's got them all on board. Yeah, I think he's doing exactly what he did at Cheltenham. Now the whole feeling around the place seems to be, actually, he's our leader. We'll we'll follow this. We kind of bought into his methods and his way mm. of doing things. Um, listen, I'm not in the dressing room. I don't speak to him a lot about what's going on. It, this is completely just the feeling that I get from noises and that so and his CV must help the fact that he ascended the levels as a football player and ended up in the Premier League it must give you credibility because he understands it it, all those levels it gives him credibility completely because no manager like if there was a Premier League player who's had 20 years in the let's just say a Steven yeah. Gerrard if he came to manage Barnsley and he didn't do so well they'd be like he doesn't really know this league mm. none of that can be levelled at Michael because he's it's, yeah. ju- it's just one thing that can't be levelled at him he knows what it is to get out of there as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing that will be leveled at Michael is, oh, he didn't play Premier League for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever they start not doing well, they're going to be in for a bit of an ear bashing. And I'm sure his time will come where he'll get one. It's just how, how he comes through it. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what's happened to Sean Dutch as well. He's a great mentor. He was, he was at the game. Was he? Yeah, we sat with him when um, 
because Wade Elliott mm. and Michael, they're both at Burnley under Sean Dyche. Ah, uh, yeah. So when they played there, and Sean, where does he live now? I think he lives in Milton Keynes, or in Nottingham, sorry. Yeah. So he came along to That's the well, game. well placed for a manager, isn't it? Yeah. In Midlands, yeah, he was uh, the best bet. I think he was sat there making notes. I asked him, I said, what, come on, mate, what are you actually making notes for there? Yeah. And I think he just wanted to probably ring Wade and ring Michael after the game. Got, oh, I did thought, he seem refreshed after leaving Burnley? Did he seem... Yeah, he did, Reinvigorated, actually. yeah. Yeah, he said he, he said a few bottles of red wine in Portugal, which has treated <laughs> him very well. I offered him a beer and he said, no, no, I've just drank far too much of that in Portugal. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> yeah. No, he's, he, he comes across very well. I think, think he'll reappear soon, won't he, Sean? I can't imagine him not, really. Yeah. yeah. Where, he, where he does appear would be interesting. But it's glad that Michael's going well. I think maybe he'll end up, hopefully, as a Premier League manager, maybe Northern Ireland manager. You never know, do you? Hey, you never know. If he ends up with either of them, he's done something right. It'd be it? nice, wouldn't yeah. it? Northern Ireland, yeah. as, you go, as you go towards retirement, maybe it's slightly less games, although the Nations League seems to have brought more into it than it used to be in terms of international management. Yeah. Well, the fact that we're even talking about this means he's, he's clearly doing something right. Yeah. Great to see you, Shane. Leckhampton Property Group on social media and personally on social media, you're still entertaining uh, that? Well, Facebook, Shane Duff, but I don't, really, I don't really use my personal Instagram or anything like that. Cool. Shane, pleasure. Thank you, mate. Thank you. I loved having that conversation with Shane. We had nearly as long a time as well before we started recording. So great to get his insight on everything that's happening in the world. And his optimism, I think, comes through, doesn't it? Which is necessary. Anything in life. I think for me to make it as a sports broadcaster on television in the UK, you have to have a certain amount of optimism that it's going to work out. I think in any industry and belief, and it seems integral to the economy, maybe that belief and optimism has waned at the moment quite dramatically in the UK. Hopefully it rebounds soon. But I think individually we can try and keep that faith a little bit. Keep going. As they say, keep calm and keep going is the is the British mantra, isn't it? The late Queen Elizabeth II, I think, was associated with that. And hopefully we can uh, draw faith on that. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate it on iTunes if you did. Thank you. And whatever platform you're listening to on as well, not just iTunes. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV. Remember the site plan, the discount code is Draper10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R numerals one zero in the capital letter r if you're looking for supplements to optimize your immunity maybe vitamin d3 vitamin d3 you may call it as we head into winter in the northern hemisphere and uh, those free sessions with anthony asprey the whole man academy you can go via the link in the show notes and also if you are interested in a life story experience for a loved one getting their voice down their memories down in their own voice head to drapermedia.co.uk the website that i created with my wife and there's a attic box audio link there click that find out more about a service we're doing where i'm speaking to members of the public about their life stories getting them down for posterity and for generations to come thank you for listening to the podcast and have a great week goodbye for now mm-hmm.